Hello, hello everyone. This is Heather. And this is Kara. And you're listening to I'm Not Complaining. I'm just asking. <laughs> it's a podcast. That's right. Me and Kara, here we are again, back and ready for it. So Talking into the void. That's right. Anyone else who wants to join us is welcome. So welcome back. You can also follow us on Instagram at at... Not complaining, just asking. <laughs> you can see our posts, notifications when new episodes are coming, and just silliness in general. So feel free to like and subscribe. I'm just laughing at some of the scrolling through some of the, the t-shirts that Heather's made. Oh, they're so good. So that's true. We just posted today uh, reminding everyone that we do have... Uh, a podcast merchandise uh, website. It is print on demand. Um, so that means that there is over 150 different designs that you can get those designs on. A t-shirt, a hoodie, a coffee mug, pretty much any merchandise platform you can think of, uh, you can get. So go ahead and feel free to click on the link and uh, peruse through the items. And if anything speaks to you, uh, feel free to click and purchase. Um, all the <clears throat> merchandise is print on demand. So we receive a small portion of your purchase price. And that helps us keep this podcast going. So thank you so much in advance um, for checking it out. Today's episode was inspired by, of course, flipping through the channels on TV and we were just looking for something new, uh, looking for a new movie to watch, maybe streaming. Um, at the time, our internet was not working, so we didn't have our streaming services. So we had to search and peruse what we've referred to as the upper channels. That's right. On one of the upper channels, flipping over from Sunday Night Football, was... A film called Ready Player One. Ready Player One from 2018. Correct. This film, honestly, I had very little knowledge of. I don't even really remember ever seeing a trailer for it. Um, at first, I when we first started... Um, and Carol was like, oh, I've heard of this. I really want to see it. And I was like, oh, is that that one? I I confused it with Ender's Game. I'll be honest. Ender's Game, the film from 2013, uh, which takes place in space. And it's lots of little kids. And they're playing war games. And it's a whole thing. I did see that one. i be honest, I did not care for it. It was such a dark storyline. And I... I really wasn't into it at all. So I'm thinking that maybe perhaps I was confusing this movie with that movie. And I was just like, no, I'll pass. Guys, Ready Player One is incredible. Absolutely incredible. What's an adjective you would use, Kara? Well, I first have to respond to your comments about Ender's Game. I really enjoy Ender's Game. I read the book. 
not such a fan of the sequels of Ender's Game for the novels, but I enjoy the original book, and then I also enjoy the film. I own Ender's Game on Blu-ray, and I also saw it at the midnight showing, so how dare you? I dare, because I don't like it. <laughs> Ready Player One, I had heard about it, but I believe it came out during a time that was competing against a couple other films, and I don't feel like it was that successful in America domestically, but I think it was successful internationally. But the graphics, the visuals, the motion capture suits that the actors and actresses had to wear when they are in the virtual reality, in the video game, in the Oasis, is breathtaking. I was so impressed. And I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. So the budget was $175 million. I see where they spent it. And the box office was $582 million. The mass majority of that made in Asia. Oh, Correct. Okay. Asian audiences. Yeah, because I, I looked at the poster and it is a young male that is wearing a virtual reality mm -hmm. goggles with a, a pair of gloves. And all I could think of, Heather, is back in the day when there used to be the introduction of virtual reality uh, down at Belmont Park. Oh, yeah. And you were in a, on a little platform and you slipped on a pair of gloves and then you had the, the helmet and the headset and it was and it had foam on it as to protect your eyes I mean honestly and what they show in the film is not that much different I mean it's a it's more sophisticated for certain but still you can see that yeah that's absolutely based on real technology for sure and then the suit that he upgrades to it's a rubber suit that goes over your clothes that you can have sensors mm -hmm. all over your body and i was like it looks like the swimsuit that the like olympic swimmers wear mm -hmm. that like capture like i think it's called the dolphin suit but that's um, what it looked like yeah mm -hmm. for sure second skin mm -hmm. so the film is described as when the creator of a virtual reality called the Oasis dies, he makes a posthumous challenge to all Oasis users to find his Easter egg, which will give the finder of his fortune control of his world. Now, I really, I loved all the kind of lingo that gamers use and there's also such a nice blend of new technology and classic old school gaming that i really appreciated and when they presented the challenge about the easter egg i just started laughing because we kind of say and those of you who love to to look for easter eggs or there's a whole thing about Disney Pixar films mm -hmm. that there's a, a running theme or watching things in order and looking for quote Easter eggs and the challenge that players are are on this quest 
so to speak, um, and looking ultimately for the quote Easter egg, I was just like, this is great. And then the keys, which kind of goes along with like Kingdom Hearts. Um, and then also, I, I did not play World of Warcraft. Uh, I did not play any kind of really computer video games, but that you go on a quest and you build a guild and you have a team of players and you have to be in a co-op instead of being uh, on your on your own and playing as a single player, which is the theme and the name of the film, which is Ready Player One. And that ultimately you have to figure out these clues. And so that's also in like Harry Potter when he the is... The Horcrux. Well, there's that, but I was specifically talking about when he competes in the Triwizard Tournament. There's a set of clues for a set of challenges, mm -hmm. and that's what's going on in the Oasis in the virtual reality is that when you achieve a challenge, you then get a clue that corresponds with winning a challenge, and then that's a clue for the next challenge and how to win the next challenge or the next step in the contest. And so I was like, oh my gosh, there's, it's like riddles or you have to go and look stuff up. And then other you have to draw on other people's knowledge in order to understand what the clue is saying. And I thought that was really cool because the film is about going from being a single player, player one, to figuring out how to cooperatively play with other people and how to interact with other people. And you're in this kind of dystopian society. Yes, you're in the year 2045 is where this film takes place. Before we get too far off, um, the director is Steven Spielberg. The writers are Zach Penn and Ernest Klein. Ernest Klein is the man who wrote the book that this movie is based on. Oh, okay, cool. So what's interesting is during the first challenge that the main character is playing in virtual reality in the Oasis, it's kind of like a speed racer video game competing. And we see all of these Universal Studios characters. You have King Kong, you have uh, the the main character is driving um, a DeLorean from Back to the Future. You see uh, a T Rex from Jurassic Park. And so I was like, wait a minute, this film has to be made by Universal Studios because there's so many characters and there's so many nods to throughout the mm -hmm. film to all of these classic Universal Studios films. So here's the thing. Like I said, I I knew nothing about this film. So when it starts, it, you know, establishes the year 2045. And it's a dystopian society where everybody is living on top of each other. The movie does such an incredible job of explaining everything you need to know in, I mean, under 10 minutes. 
I mean, it's very quick. You understand what the world is, what why people are doing what they're doing. Um, and, and when they do the pan scan of the main character yeah. leaving his house to go to wherever he plays his virtual reality, it shows in every window that he passes that every single person has the virtual reality goggles on mm-hmm. and is playing a different game. Yes. Whether they're kids, whether they're adults, whether they're elderly, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Everybody is in this virtual reality, is in the oasis. Yes. To that, the and the, the main character explains that the virtual reality is the reality. Right. So I'll pause for just one second um, because I don't think I said it and it, I say it every time. Um, if you have not seen the film, um, we are going to have major spoilers. Um, so just just so you're aware, uh, we do highly recommend that you watch it, though. It's thoroughly enjoyable, which is why we're going to be talking about it for a little bit. So he shows us his world and he does and the main character is percival aka wade wade is his real name percival is his avatar name and in this virtual reality you do not reveal your true self your name your avatar is your real self but you never tell anybody your real name. Mm-hmm. And I actually went back and I looked up the trailer for this film. I don't have any recollection of ever seeing this trailer. The trailer does such a fantastic job of explaining what you're in for. It really did a wonderful job. And the movie is complicated. So tip of the cap to the editors and creators of the trailer. You did a really good job explaining what you're in for going i went into this movie as i said i went into this movie completely blind and i was just constantly overwhelmed by everything in the best possible way um the visuals the storyline um the characters the characters i thought it was utterly fantastic and i i kept thinking i can't even imagine how difficult this movie must have been to make everything is so minutely detailed and cared for and so i looked at the i you know i did a little bit of research before we did this podcast and steven spielberg said this is the he personally feels this film was one of the most difficult projects he has ever undertaken and i believe it if you love pop even if you don't like video games, if you have a love for film and pop culture in general, you will love this film. It is wall-to-wall pop culture. Um, it make- makes you... It, I, I can't even imagine how many times you could watch this film and find something new. You mean finding Easter eggs? Yeah, so I had heard the term finding easter eggs as kara had has explained a little bit earlier um they're little little nuggets yeah of information or to tie things back they're they're ways to make your mind go oh yeah i remember when you mentioned or when i saw before or oh does that mean that's it's a little it's that's literally what it means it's a nugget yeah 
of information. Oh, here it is right here in this capsule. And you're like, oh. It's just like so incredible. And all of the characters, I mean, of course, except for the villains, they're so genuine and likable. I just, I was just like, I feel so wholesome watching this film. It's just like, this movie feels like it was made for me. It is like they went inside my brain and were like, we're going to just shake out every pop culture reference you've ever thought of that brings you joy. And we're going to put it in this film. Because, it's just like incredible. Because they, they give nods to why video games have gotten to the place where they are mm -hmm. because they're fun. Because Adventure. they're puzzles, because they're an escape for reality. And that is true for a lot of people who are professional gamers or people who have multiple consoles. People who have grown up playing video games and continue to play video games as adults. Um, that I feel as though a lot of the computer-based video games are so complex in addition to like PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 games or Xbox One. It's too much for me. I like the classic games. Mm -hmm. I mean, we grew up on, at least I grew up on Super Nintendo. If we're going to go way back, Kara, the first video game console that we ever owned was a Commodore 64. So Commodore 64, the one we had, yes. It plugged into the TV, it had a keyboard, and it had a joystick. It was red, right? Mm-hmm. And it had the single button single button on the top, yes. single button on the on the square where the joystick connected. Yes, correct. And so the games that we had, we had Kickman, Tapper, BC, Penguin Towers. Which one was the guy with the hat with the balloons? That's Kickman. Um, so I don't really, I never really understood why he was called Kick. Well, there's a reason he's called Kickman. So he is a clown who is on a unicycle, and he has a spike on the top of on his the hat. top of his head and a spike on each tip of his shoe, and you would roll him back and forth side to side. He was on a city street with skyscrapers in the background and balloons would be at the top of the screen and the balloons would drop. And depending on the color of the balloon, they were worth a certain amount of points. And your job was to pop the balloon either with your foot or the top of your head and the pop would give you the point. I loved that game. And then I loved the caveman one that was on the... Oh, yeah, that was whoop, BC. Whoop. Yes. So that's BC, um, based on the BC comic strip about caveman. And again, this this caveman was on a unicycle, but the, the stone, it was a round stone, the invention of the wheel. And he was riding the stone. It was on grass, and then you'd have to go over rocks. You would have to jump. You'd have to gain enough momentum and, like, lean your head forward or lean back 
if you were going up a hill or down a hill, or if you had to gain enough speed to jump over like a ravine or rocks. I don't remember the ultimate goal of what you to, were getting to. To make it to the end. Oh. Um, so when the game started, you were in perpetual motion. You couldn't stop. Right. You could make yourself go slower or faster, but you were. it was impossible. You could not stop. Um, so like you said, you were, you were avoiding hurdles. Um, and so you would make it past all the rocks, the trees, the what have you, holes, ravines. And so that would be like your first level. But it was continuous. It was continuous. There weren't really like, oh, you've completed. Now, it was a one-level game. And so you'd get to a certain point where you came to a river. And the river, the little guy, he would stop of his own volition. And the new... the the new goal was you were supposed to make it across the river and you would look and in the river there was little rocks that would move up and down out of the water kind of like frogger yes but they weren't rocks you found out that they were turtles so they were moving up and down with the tide and you have now what happens though is that once you jump on the turtle your the weight of your body causes him to sink so you have to time it so the minute you hit him you have to get off him and bounce, bounce across the river to the other side. So that you have to, it's a whole thing. So once you get past the river <clears throat> and the turtles, I think there was a dinosaur. Oh, and you had to go up and over the dinosaur and fly off his head, I think. Yeah, and when you flew off, you had to time it. There was a little bird. <clears throat> and you'd have to grab onto the bird. Bird, and he would fly you over the ravine. It was a whole thing. It was very stressful, and and the music was very stressful, um, because it was sound. The sound effects of his tire going against the ground, like a drum roll, almost a never-ending drum roll. And the roll. faster that you would go, the faster the drum would be in the rhythm. Yeah, and when you would jump, when you would jump, it had a sound effect of. And then if you were dunking, ducking below a tree branch, it was, uh, uh, uh. It was just very, it was very stressful. Very stressful. It was fun, though. And then you mentioned the tapper, which oh. the different levels is one is in a Western saloon where he's tapping beer and and sliding, sliding the, the glasses down to the, um, the cowboy's. Or there's a different level where you're a tapper, a bartender at a sporting event, and you are sliding the glasses down to the spectators. Um, and then they're distracted by cheerleaders. And if you don't time it right, and the people who are watching the game are watching the cheerleaders and their backs are turned, the glasses will slide off past them and they'll smash on the ground. <laughs> or if you don't refill the glasses fast enough, then the patrons get angry. Right. And the and the soundtrack to that is Oh Susanna. Yes. And that one has levels. Yes. Um, the 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 higher the level you go, the more drinks you have to serve faster to more, and to more people. Right. And yeah. there's shoo, more shoo, shoo. and there's there's usually 
um, more bar taps. Uh, and so you start off with two and then it goes three and then it goes four and then it goes five and then it goes seven. And you have to be really quick to flip up and down and toggle and, and get the glasses. And that one is also really stressful mm -hmm. because you're like, oh, oh no, but it's fun, mm -hmm. but it's fun. And those are all <clears throat> joystick yeah. based. Yeah. Single button joystick. Um, so yeah, we, we, the first one we had was a Commodore. And then we went up to uh Macintosh Apple and um, we of course played Oregon Trail. You have gotten dysentery or you have to, how are you going to start off the game? Are you going to be a banker? Are you going to be a farmer? Um, and so then you start off with a different amount of money. And then how much buffalo do you shoot? How much meat can you actually carry in your wagon? How many oxen are you going to have? You're going to ford the river. Or are you going to pay someone for a guide? Mm -hmm. Are you going to stop and rest? How are you going to portion your meals? What's the pace you're going to go? Um, and then what trail are you going to take? What are, Where are you going to rest? Oh, I enjoyed playing the Oregon Trail so much. And, you know, it almost became a competition. How, who set the record for going the fastest? And do you just, do you care about your family dying? And as long as you make it, down the Oregon Trail, mm -hmm. uh, but I to, love the summary. To, you the got end. to write your own tombstone if you died. That's right. So, Kara, I know you said earlier that um, you never played story games or adventure games, but I got to tell you, you did, and so did I. And it was called Torrens Passage. The only thing that I remember from Torrens Passage was when you had to go to the crystals, like the crystal layer from Superman, and you had to put the crystals in the slots to make either chiming or a light show or something had to be in a specific order. There were different lengths and colors of crystals that you had to put into this board for a wall to open. I don't remember why we had to open the wall. I don't know what happened from it. And then there was like these little, the little guys of, no, somewhere else. <laughs> so the storyline of Torin's passage is about Torin, and he is a young farm boy on a distant planet. And an evil sorcerer kidnaps his family. So he has to go find them and he has to travel to the lands below. And sort of like Alice in Wonderland, he has to find the cave that is the entrance to the lands below. And he goes through all these different levels and lands in order to get to the sorcerer's palace and rescue his family. But so along the way, you know, when you dragged your mouse across the screen, you know, things would highlight. And those would either be a clue or a challenge. Um, it was really fun. And we actually did beat that game, um, which was great. We freed his family. Uh-huh. Yeah, we saved everybody. It was awesome. And Torin um, had a little friend, a little creature friend whose name was Boogle. And he was purple and furry and he could be in the knapsack. 
and he would uh, give I don't really remember him actually contributing anything vital other than comic relief um but I thought he was great I just remember when you would screw up he would almost like heckle you yeah and it's like this isn't helping <laughs> did you have lives or did you did the game just reset to what wherever the the benchmark was i think you could like, save your progress you know and if you died it would take you to a certain place um and you'd have to re retrace your steps a bit you mean you wouldn't have to respawn i don't know what that means that i i just remember that if you died in these new computer games you're on like a quest to find something or complete task that you would quote respawn and so you'd reanimate somewhere and then you'd have to run back to whatever land the rest of your people were competing in mm. or whatever you were doing again i don't play wow or world of warcraft or or anything like that and those are typically games where if you die with a group of people or like your guild or whatever it is that when you die you respawn somewhere else in like a fountain or a room i'm sorry folks for those of you who might be screaming at your phone at me like oh god how do you not know i'm sorry i don't play those games so that you know uh but you did play legend of zelda i remember you were way into that wasn't that on nintendo 64 I played Legends of Zelda on Nintendo 64 for a very short amount of time because what happened is I started from the beginning and I bought like the booklet of the cheats or the hacks that went along with the Legends of Zelda. So then I learned all the buttons that you would play on the magic flute. Uh, same things that you would have to get crystals or you would things to get extra lives or where to find things or do side uh, side adventures other than the, the main tasks that you were on. And what happened was I got to a certain point where I got turned into a wolf. Mm. And what was supposed to happen, you were supposed to complete tasks in a certain order and I did that and then I got turned into a wolf and then you go to a certain area and again you complete a certain number of tasks and then you're supposed to transform from being a wolf back into Zelda well that didn't happen and I got stuck in this weird void area and so I actually went over to a friend's house Brought my little saved cartridge, my game, put it in their Nintendo 64 because they loved Zelda and they played Zelda. They go, I don't understand why you're still a wolf. You're not supposed to be a wolf anymore. And so they're like, okay, well, let's try and continue on through the adventure. I don't know if this is possible. If you can keep going Instead of turning back into Zelda, let's see if you can continue on through the game as a wolf. Uh, no, because there's magical enchantments that you can't go into certain areas because they're like, oh, you haven't achieved this. Even though I looked at my menu and I, it was very frustrating. And the only way for me to not be a wolf anymore 
was to essentially start over. Mm. And I was like, I've invested like two weeks of my life into this game. I can't simply start over. Where's the fun in that? And I then stopped playing the Legends of Zelda because I got stuck. All I know about Zelda is that he smashes clay pots because there's prizes inside. Right? Yes. And that Zelda is the girl. Yeah. The the character that you are is Link, the boy. Yeah. I know and that. And he goes, <laughs> when he get When he dies, he... he <laughs> has this little muffled thing and he like shrivels and then his head goes down and then um that's when you don't have any more lives Aww. uh but yeah he smashes little clay pots um he likes to flip over things and then he had he plays a flute and you have to learn the different buttons to press to play the specific song that you're supposed to play and does the flute tra- transport him to different lands uh no it usually is some sort of enchantment. Mm. Again, I haven't played Zelda sure, in a sure. long... Not since I was in high school. Um, and so. for me, the Nintendo 64 gaming system was too much for me. I did not... There was too many buttons and um, little... The joystick. The joystick. Double joystick on the No. Handle. Nintendo 64 only has one joystick in the okay. middle. PlayStation has two joysticks. Okay, I don't like that. Side. Yeah, I don't like that. Well, we were huge fans of Nintendo 64 with Ni- Mario Party. Oh my gosh. So, no, Mario Party wasn't on 64. That had to be... Uh, Mario Party was on Nintendo 64. Um, That's what I just said. Okay, I thought you said Super Nintendo. No. But we can talk about Super Nintendo and how... Super Nintendo is the only gaming platform. I went from Commodore 64 to Super Nintendo. I never really played the first incarnation of Nintendo. Really. I had one friend who had regular Nintendo and Sega Mm. Genesis. uh, And then we had Super Nintendo. Yeah. And we... How did we even get Super, Super Nintendo? Super Nintendo, we saw an ad in the classifieds that someone was selling their entire game cartridge collection and the system of Nintendo 64 because they were going to buy the newest version of um, whatever it was at the time. Um, so we got, gosh, 12 Car- game cartridges. And, I remember and specifically it, we got Mortal Kombat. Yes. We got Super Mario. But we had gotten the Super Nintendo right before the Disney boom. Yes. Of games because just like now with Disney Plus and how Disney is starting to do live action remakes of classic Disney games. Disney got into the video game arena and made Disney character-based games of your favorite Disney films. So, so you the- had Aladdin, you had Mickey's Great Adventure, you had The Jungle Book, Lion King, for sure. There's yeah. a Lion King one. Yeah. I wasn't we rented. So we only purchased we purchased Aladdin 
And we purchased Mickey's Great Adventure. And the Jungle Book. Yeah. That was hard. That was a hard... We didn't play the Jungle Book that one that much because it was really difficult. Because I kept on stepping on the stupid fruit, spiky fruit, and Mm -hmm. I would always die. And I I could never... Prickly pear. Yes. Yeah. You'd have to swing on the vines or the snakes. It was really really difficult. And there were different levels, and I just... And the same thing with Mickey's Great Adventure. That was really difficult. Um, I remember we, I don't think we really ever got past the first level where he is Mickey from Jack and the Beanstalk and he has to climb the beanstalk, the beanstalk and the beanstalk would grow different fruit. I specifically remember tomatoes Yes, and you could either use the tomato as a weapon to throw it at the enemy and it would splatter in their face. Or if you found a special tomato, the um leaves that were still attached to the tomato w- would spin around like a helicopter and you could hold on to it and fly up the vine but they only flew so far yeah and and if you didn't let go in time you, you would, would fall, fall to your death yeah it was very complex um but aladdin was the Goldilocks game. It was just right for us. And you know what's hilarious is I, years passed after I stopped playing video games and I was having a conversation about the Aladdin video game and how much joy it brought us. Mm -hmm. And I started, it went from a conversation to a full argument about, how you got to different levels and achieved them. And it got to the point where we were just like, no, we're both, we both played Aladdin and we both remembered specific elements about the game and how much we enjoyed it. And not until it had become a big full blown argument. Do we realize I was playing it on super Nintendo and they were playing it on, on Sega. Sega. Yeah, and that's the thing is that they would release quote the same game on different consoles, but how you would win or different levels and how you would earn points would be different depending on the console. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Aladdin was so great in that it had a lot of the same elements as Super Mario almost um, because there were you could enter in passcodes to skip ahead or go to, to or go to specific levels bonus lands and genie land genie land was a bonus round and you could collect points that was so much fun and that jewels. was favorite jewels hearts Hearts obviously are lives. Loaves of bread when you would topple over the big, large vases or vases yes, in and, the marketplace, the bazaar, the marketplace. That 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 game is incredible. It's so well done. And you flying on the magic carpet on the lava level. Yes. Go faster or slower. Mm-hmm. The momentum to to avoid the wave of lava as you're escaping and, and the, the cave of stalag tights and the stalagmites. But we did beat that game, and that was a victory. That was so great. You could could go to specific levels, and you could rack up jewels or lives, um, and you could skip around once you had beaten it. 
or you could go from start to finish. <laughs> and I feel like you couldn't do that with a lot of other games where you wouldn't want to start all over again. As I mentioned, like with the Legends of Zelda, the game that you played and I was in charge of racking up lives was Super Mario. Oh my gosh. So Super Mario was so much fun. And Super Mario had a level, a Yoshi level, where you... Yoshi! Yoshi! I love Yoshi so much. He's so cute. Love him. He's the best. So there was a a Yoshi level where it was, he cracked out of, he hatched out of the egg and he ate apples in the forest. And if he ate enough apples, he would lay an egg that would have a level up life mushroom and was mario riding yoshi yeah with the little reins yeah he had a little saddle and little reins and you would jump and extend yoshi's tongue to snatch apples out of the trees and eat them and so you could rack up lives it was a you know uh, that's specifically what it was for so kara you were in charge of racking up the lives so that I could go to the different levels and conquer them. So what was funny about this is that there are only certain, you had to get to a certain land and a certain level within that land to save your progress yeah. in your game. So if you went to a new land, you once you entered it, you couldn't leave. And if you died, you lost your progress. So you had to rack up enough lives and be like, okay, how many lives do you think it's going to take for me to beat this level within this land? And I think there was like, it would be between five and seven individual little markers or levels within that land. And then when you would beat the boss or that land, then a wall would come down or a bridge would go and it would get built to the next part and then you would walk over and he'd do like a little victory dance or whatever but you could only rack up 99 lives correct you couldn't go over um but i felt like the sweet spot for player one and player two you would get about 49 or 50 for each one because then once if you died on one player you could just pick up the other controller and then use second player and you had to leave it on you couldn't turn off the console oh yeah remember had the two slidey one was the power on and off and then there was the reset slider and then the console would go in the top now a lot of kids these days don't understand the struggle of (sighs) blowing out the dust like a harmonica yeah um and P.S., by the way, it specifically says in the box, don't do that. But that's how you got it to work. I know. What were you supposed to use? Like a vacuum? I don't know. A, put it in front of a fan? I don't know. I mean, I guess when you do that, when you blow into it like a harmonica, then I guess the moisture from... The droplets? Your... But that's how you got it to work. And then you would shove it in. And then you would have to do the same thing... Mm-hmm. For the where you were putting the, the the cartridge in, but Super Nintendo was our game console. We never upgraded to Nintendo sixty four to own. 
we would rent Nintendo 64 from Blockbuster. And when you would rent the Nintendo 64 for the weekend, it was $20 and it came with two games. And we would always get Mario Party and then we would get like whatever the new rotating one mm-hmm. was. And that could be Super Smash Brothers or that could be, I don't know, was it Spyro? Mm-hmm. The dragon, the purple dragon. I thought he was only for Sega. Spyro. Or you mean PlayStation. Yeah. So that's the other thing is PlayStation. We didn't own a PlayStation. We didn't know anybody that had a PlayStation. So that's a whole nother. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was the kind of like the birthplace of the first person shooter games. Uh, well, I remember, I mean, it's probably not what you're talking about, but I remember that there was an arcade uh, in Belmont Park and they had a shooter, a literal shooter game that was at the Old West and it was a large uh, TV screen and it was a full interactive film that was made and it was like this guy, it's in the old timey West and there were these orange plastic revolvers that had wires hooked to sensors and people would run out like you know banditos and bad guys would run across the screen and you would shoot them i don't understand to this day how that technology worked how they made a film and had different outcomes and people would fall to the ground like you had shot them i I really don't know, and maybe I'm stupid, but it always fascinated me. I was terrible at that game in the in the thing, um, but there would, but it was always. But I would watch other people watch it, and different people would fall down dead each time. So their sensors had to be hooked up to something. I, it's a mystery to me, but that was. Uh, I think that was called. I, I think it was called Mad Dog. But I really don't remember. I mean, that's a whole nother that's a whole nother video game technology where you can that's like Area 51, the zombie game, that that's where there's a there's a holster. Yeah. And you had to reload, reload. And yeah, you yeah. had to fire off screen to reload. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're talking about like PlayStation, I remember the commercials for PlayStation where they had the video game 007. Okay. And it was a lot of the the war games or first-person shooter games. That's where you... And then... So PlayStation and then Xbox then became like Halo. That's not what we were into personally. We weren't into shooting games. We were more into puzzles and adventure games. Right. And I just remember trying, even to this day, where... If I, I cannot play a PlayStation game because there are two joysticks, there's a button for your pointer finger and your middle finger on your left hand and your right hand, and then there's X, box, uh, circle. I remember something called the rumble pack. Yeah, it's a, it's a thing that connects in the bottom of the controller that vibrates mm. to specific things. 
Um, and then it can also have motion capture. So if you're tilting the, the controller, um, and then we would then graduate to, we bought the Nintendo Wii. I got a Nintendo Wii for my college graduation in 2010 with tennis and the sports pack and, you know, sword fighting and all that. And then, uh, that was, that probably lasted about four years and then the controllers literally burnt out. I didn't care for it. It was too much for me. Again, you had two controllers. You had one that had a wrist strap that had the joystick on it. And then the other one had the clicker and the buttons. So you had to use both your hands and then your body. Yeah. Which I understood the idea and thought process behind getting up and moving around and being more active with your video games. But I felt as though we were super active when you're trying to make Super Mario jump higher you would oh press the God. button and you would also physically move and be like, yeah, it, it wasn't. It wasn't going to help yes, whatsoever. It, it, it did. It just bruised the hell out of your thumb by smashing the, the button as Do hard as you could. Do you think that's why they called it Smash Brothers? Because people no, you would, would smash sm- the buttons? No, you you would you were beating each other up. You oh. sma- I just liked Mario Kart. That was fun. Where they're all in the cart. But Heather, I've thought maybe your favorite game. We haven't mentioned it yet. That you were also you were almost a champion, <laughs> almost, almost for Super Nintendo for Super Nintendo Donkey Kong Country. I love Donkey Kong Country. That when he is... slaps his hand on the ground and, and bananas come and out. Bananas come out of the ground. I beat that game i was so happy it took me so long to beat that game i i love everything about donkey kong country um the graphics are fantastic the gameplay is fantastic the soundtrack is the best soundtrack ever written for a video game and they actually used to sell the soundtrack only in asia but you could buy it on cd um, obviously, they don't make it anymore, so to find one is really rare and extremely expensive. Um, but I have researched on iTunes, and on iTunes, there are many people, many artists who have found the sheet music um, for not only Donkey Kong Country, but pretty much any video game that you could think of, and they have re-recorded um, the songs, and you can download them. Unfortunately, you can only download them per track. There's not like a package. So I haven't done it yet, but one of my goals, hashtag squad goals, that I would love to do is to explore and find all the songs of every video game I've ever played that I enjoy and create a video game playlist. Um, I think that would be really fun to have as a workout track because you could feel like you're Mario running and punching the blocks or your Donkey Kong swinging across, shooting through the barrels. What, um, about, be what, about, when you're the, a, what about when you're underwater? Just fantastic soundtrack is the best. The best. 
When he grabs onto the star and he's Mario's twinkling all over and he's invincible and going super fast. So great. Turbo mode. Uh, yeah. Or he's wearing this little raccoon suit and he can fly. But I think we need to be specific about Donkey Kong because there's the original arcade game. arcade game. Which, which is Mario and Donkey Kong. Correct. And he's throwing the barrels yeah. and you've got the, the which mount. Which is very much the storyline, uh, pulling for the storyline King Kong. Um, because he has the lady uh, at the top and Mario is trying to save her. But the Donkey Kong is throwing the barrels. And of course, I'm sure everyone knows that the original name of Donkey Kong was Monkey Kong. That was the original name, but the label was lost in translation and they printed the label saying Donkey Kong. And they're like, well, it's already printed. It's on the, it's on the shipping container. There's a, we're not going to change it now. So now that's how Donkey Kong was created. And then when Super Nintendo Donkey Kong came out, I love that he's wearing a red tie with DK. Yes. Because he's very professional. Oh, He's so great. And I love all the characters. I love Diddy Kong, his little his little friend wearing the t-shirt and the red cap. Um, there's Cranky Kong, who is the old man who tells you clues and mysteries. There's Funky, who is in charge of Funky's flights, which you get in his little airplane barrel to, dr- to fly to new lands. It's just, it's fantastic. And that spawned two sequels, which was Diddy Kong's Quest... And then there was no oh, excuse me. And he had and in that one it was just Diddy, the little monkey with the red hat, and his girlfriend, who was Dixie Kong, and she had blonde hair and a ponytail, and she could use her ponytail as a helicopter and she could fly. And then there was a third one where it was Dixie and Baby Kong. Um, I'm not sure that that was his name, but it was a another monkey who was a baby and he was he and dixie would go on adventures i did not like that third one it was too far the baby didn't really have any kind of extra oomph or any specific if you could call it a power Mm -hmm. because there was an advantage to being one character or another Mm -hmm. um and then your lives were based on you would always start out with a tag team Mm -hmm. so you could start with donkey kong first and have diddy kong Mm -hmm. was your second life Mm -hmm. and you would be playing in tandem Mm -hmm. and if one person died then whoever was second was the other player so it was if you were donkey kong and you died then dixie kong Mm -hmm. would then come up or if vice versa um, and so there was an advantage to either being Donkey Kong or Diddy Kong. And then as you would progress through the different levels, you had to figure out which one you would use, whose powers you would use to your advantage. And I, I love that. But you, you actually got to compete for Donkey in, Kong in a country. Tournament. Yeah. So Blockbuster at the time had a deal with SeaWorld. Blockbuster it was for Donkey Kong specifically and they had a modified program a modified gameplay and 
for the competition and it was based on points and time so you would get you would run through the levels as fast as you could and collect as many points as you went without dying without dying so it was it was a modified gameplay but if you knew the game well you would have a better chance obviously and it was separated by age levels and I was just under. I came in 11th place. Ugh. You had to be in the top 10. The top 10 advanced, and you got to play on a huge stage at SeaWorld in front of a crowd. And whoever won that, you won the golden cartridge. Now, whether or not that was actually gold, I mean... I don't know, but it's so funny. Years and years later, the TV show Pawn Stars in Las Vegas, a guy came in and he had the golden cartridge. And he told the story, same thing as it played at Blockbuster Advance to SeaWorld and he won on stage and they presented him with the golden cartridge. I'd never seen it before and he had it. I was like, wow, good for you, guy. So it was real. It was, it was real. real. Price. It was a genuine prize, and you got money as well. But, but that was that was so stressful. Kara, you know, obviously Kara's talked about competing in sports and everything and winning the trophy. This is the closest thing I've ever done to co- competition. I, and it was very stressful. I think what the most stressful part, and when, when you always, when you've told the story, is the fact that there were a lot of, children competing on the same day yeah you had appointments right but everybody who was waiting to play was there and they were screaming at you yeah duck get the banana i mean it it to their credit they weren't heckling you to make you fail they were so excited that they wanted you to do well because they because they knew everyone knew where the bananas were and everyone knew when the the crocodiles were going to jump at you. So they were they they were thought they were helping. They really did. They were trying to be encouraging. It's but the, it was it's the internal monologue <clears throat> that everybody has of oh, 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 oh. yeah. So I mean it wasn't um, nefarious. <laughs> everybody was just excited. I think that it's important to note that this is before like land parties. And this is before people had like convention centers where people play games for hours and hours and hours and you make it to the quote main stage where people people are professional gamers now right that earn millions of dollars people have youtube channels where they're watching people play video games live and doing their commentary like it's an actual sporting event and it blows my mind and i think it comes back full circle to the film that we watch, Ready Player One, mm-hmm. that it became so consuming and people, in, one, enjoyed playing it so much, two, it was something that they could get excited about to interact with other people to kind of lose yourself, so to speak. Um, but also at the end of the film, when 
everybody who participates in the Oasis, you know, millions of people across the world with their avatars um, to help the main character complete the final mission. mission or task to get this key so he can get the Easter egg. When it's just the main character, everybody is watching him play on screens around the world, in neighborhoods around the world, on their own virtual reality, and they are just, the world stops to watch him play. And I thought that that yeah, was... it stops being a competition, and everyone is just so invested. And, and they want to see him succeed. They're like, oh my gosh, he's doing this! Yes. And everybody, yeah, wants and is willing him and wanting him to to succeed and to win because no one has ever gotten close. And I think there's something to that that's also like a bit like the Olympics mm -hmm. where everyone is watching and willing and hoping that's like, oh my gosh, he's doing it. <laughs> They're doing it. It's never been done before. And it's exciting. And who thought that I, that you or I would be so excited to watch a film about video games? I was really surprised. I will be honest that I enjoyed it. I love, and I've said this before, I love sci-fi. I really, really enjoy it. I want to watch it again. Yeah, there's so many things that I'm sure we missed. You mean Easter egg? It, yeah, for sure. Um, the... the they should play this, you know, I think um, Wizard of Oz, by and large, is the agreed upon film that networks would play at Easter time because there was, everybody's off for the holiday and there was, like with Christmas, it's obvious what, um, what movies you play. And usually on Thanksgiving, it's agreed upon that you, they would play the film Miracle on 34th Street because the film begins um, for the Thanksgiving Macy's Day Parade. That's usually the agreed upon networks would show that film. And at Easter time, they weren't really sure what film to play. So somehow by default, Wizard of Oz always played at Easter time. I say maybe Ready Player One could be played at Easter time on the networks. Why? Because of the Easter eggs. I'm just saying. Now, Heather, after watching the film Ready Player One and looking back nostalgically on all the games that we love to play, will this inspire you to play any kind of video games or, or purchase any new said video game consoles? No, because as I said, the controller for Nintendo 64, that's about it for me. When it started moving with multi, just a multitude of buttons and mul uh, more than one joystick, um, that's too much. And even the Wii, um, where it's all about um, sensories and uh, motion and wild movement, it's just, it's not for me anymore. Um, uh, with the movie, um, you know, where it's the gloves and the headset, eh, 
I just I just don't think it's for me. I I can certainly understand why people would enjoy it and it's very immersive. I get it. I can I can I certainly see the allure for sure. So would you say that you would be interested in immersing yourself into a Super Nintendo land? I know where you're going with this and it's a full yes because Coming soon to actual real life is Super Nintendo World. Right now it's being constructed in Japan, Universal Studios Japan. They're predicting that they will be able to open in 2021. And it is going to be wild. They We've seen a few videos about them talking about construction. And they're going to do their darndest to create a fully realized, walkable, interactive, physical sets, buildings, rides to replicate. They want to do almost everything that Nintendo's ever created, but they're going to start with Super Mario. I'm super excited because when they showed the preview of what they've created so far, they have a gold or yellow question block and they show somebody jumping and punching the bottom and it lights up and goes, doo, doo, beow, yeah. doo, makes the sound, makes the sound. And they said that they're going to use magic bands like they have um, for Disneyland, which is, which goes on your wrist, like a wristwatch and it collects coins and you can compete within your group of friends or against other people who are in the park for coins for prizes i was like universal studios do you need someone to live (laughs) in the land for like long term to try and test everything out because let me know i am available yeah they've already shown they've constructed bowser's castle um they have little spinny um, turtle shells um, spinning on top of roofs. They've got the um, like the Venus flytrap plants. Um, they um, have gold, giant gold coins that are spinning on their own. It looks so incredible and so cheerful and just everything that you want Super Mario or Nintendo to be. Of course, I am hoping that there is a Donkey Kong Country section for sure, as so many other great games. It looks like it's the size of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. That looks about the scale <clears throat> that it's going to start off at. And I mean, of course, Universal Studios theme park, they've created, obviously, um, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, which is an incredible experience. Um, I don't know if that we've talked about it so much here um, on the podcast, but Kara is very much a Harry Potter fan. Me, not so much. Just because, again, um, as I said at the beginning of the episode, the storyline is dark. That's not so much for me. But I I fully am aware I am in the mass minority. Um, Harry Potter is huge. So when Kara and I went to Orlando, um, to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, Orlando... It was Kara's second time. It was my first time. But they had just opened Diagon Alley. Yes. When we went. 
which you could then go on the train. Oh, to the Hogwarts Express. Express. Correct, correct. Um, so that that was new for you. And 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 go through the platform of nine and three quarters. Yes, um, I was I was blown away by the incredible craftsmanship, attention to detail, the Im- fully immersive experience. Um, it was. It was absolutely incredible. The attention to detail. Um, everyone, if you have not been, um, and I, we still have not been to, uh, no, I think, Kara, you went to the Hollywood one. I, I have not. But, I, so I've only been to the Orlando one. Um, every employee inside the Wizarding World section has a European accent, uh, specifically British. But, Sometimes it's Irish, sometimes it's Scottish a little bit. They have a little bit of leeway, um, but, you know, by and large, majority of British. But everyone is on point. Everyone is fully committed. I remember when we first went in, they had the, the train that you could take you do the photo op with. And so you there's a conductor that you can take a picture with. And... There was two shifts. There was a young conductor and then there was an older conductor. And so we went when it was the young conductor on shift. And he, he I, you know, he, he was interacting with Kara, uh, talking all about everything Harry Potter. And then he tried to talk to me about Harry Potter. And I was like, I kind of took him aside. I was like, I, I don't really know anything about Harry Potter. So it's okay. You can kind of relax for a minute and not be in character. And he was having none of it. He was full on character and went full tour guide. He was like, well, if you've never been, you know, I'm not going to do the accent. But he's like, well, oh my gosh. Well, if you've never been here, here's the things that you will really enjoy, even if you don't know a lot. This, So it was really great. Um, everyone was amazing. Um, he also then whispered after he was done talking to Heather and whispered to me and said, muggles. Yeah. Which was an insult to me, I guess. Which is which but, is a non-magical folk. Right. But that's okay. I didn't mind. Uh, it was, and that was that what that was day was like. It was just making dreams come true. It was really something. It was really something. And so I have all the hopes in the world for Super Nintendo World. It's going to be amazing. Because we've gotten to the point with technology that we can make things interactive. Things that we used to only be able to do in video games, Mm -hmm. we can now recreate and do in real life. And I think that's why, like you said, Spielberg said that Ready Player One was the most difficult film that he's ever created. And bravo. Well done. It's really incredible, you guys. I highly recommend that you watch it. You will appreciate it. Um, You will enjoy it. You'll appreciate it. And you'll come away being just, just if you appreciate films in general, just the manpower, the time, the effort. I can't even imagine storyboarding this film i mean what an undertaking what an incredible undertaking and i say bravo to the actors that they had to do a majority of this film with motion capture Mm -hmm. suits Mm -hmm. 
and acting with a green screen. Mm-hmm. And I've watched uh, a lot of behind the scenes with Marvel, Marvel films mm-hmm. and Spider-Man films and DC <laughs> films of, you know, okay, here's the tennis ball and it's, ri- you know, yeah. and you got to act to a tennis ball with a green screen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really challenging and it's really difficult. And I feel like the um, the character, the avatar um, that Wade, a.k.a. Percival, I feel like his avatar is based on the Final Fantasy character, um, just his looks. And then there's so many different avatars. I feel like some of the avatars are based on, like we said, Mortal Kombat, all these different characters it's so just really you, incredible if you, transformers if, if you like video games mm-hmm. you will love this film mm-hmm. and if you don't like video games but you have an appreciation for, for visual film. effects and film it's a great movie mm-hmm. and i have heard there are rumors that there's going to be a sequel oh. to ready player one yeah and it's going well, to be certainly leave it open for that for sure and I, I will, I will be into it. And I have to say that part of the reason that the the movie captured me so much is the person who is the creator, the actor slash character, who is the creator of the Oasis. Man, I mean, some heartbreaking character work there. He's so genuine. And so vulnerable. Um, and we kept saying, oh, a lot of this is some Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory territory. I don't mind that at all. And then his best friend, who uh, I believe the actor's name is Simon Pegg. Yes. He's incredible. Um, just really amazing stuff. I was so impressed and shocked that I'd never really heard of this film, seen as that from the moment I wake up to the moment I shut my little eyes at night is I am all about film and um, TV. And this seems like such a landmark achievement. And it just came out like two years ago. Yes. 2018. Anyway. So check it out. I would say if, if you are shocked that Heather and I had never seen this film and, or really had ever heard of this film, if there is a film that you feel as though, that we should see and you feel passionately about. Yeah, let us know. Let us know. Because mm-hmm. if if you're saying, wow, if you like this film, you got to watch this film. Mm-hmm. We've mentioned before we love Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. We love the new Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. It's great. We love Bill and Ted. Uh, we're, that is on the list of Bill and Ted number three is on the list for us to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, gosh. The Mandalorian season two just came out, you guys. Obviously, you know about that. Um, so there's all sorts of exciting things. It's an exciting time. Even though, um, there's so much going on in the world that's not great, entertainment is there for you guys. I mean, since the beginning of time, it's a distraction, but you know what? Sometimes that's okay. If things aren't going your way and you're feeling down, remember, you can always find your Easter egg. And that concludes this episode of I'm Not Complaining. I'm just asking for you to watch Ready Player One or build an avatar or maybe go down to the Goodwill and find an old game console. To, and 
Well, but now that's how Jumanji Part Two begins. And so that's be a careful. whole not, and that's a whole nother thing. So you got to be careful. 